Pod. You're here with Reggie and Xavier, your host, and this is Sometimes You're the Frog. Welcome back to Sometimes You're the Frog. This is Xavier. Uh, I'm here with, uh, of course, Reggie. Hey, guys, doing? Okay, and our esteemed guest. Happy New Year. Yeah, I, I guess the last episode was recorded before the New Year, right? Yeah. Um, we have an esteemed guest to talk to us about a bunch of different things, agriculture-related, soul-related, African-related. Um, it's going to be some good stuff. You know, it's a fellow comrade, extended family, I guess you could say. Yeah, this episode is going to be available here and also on the Jiggy Jiggy podcast. Yeah. Mason, how are you? I'm doing very well, man. Thank you so much for having me. It is quite the honor to be interviewed in general and then also to have my first interview for the podcast be on Sometimes You're the Frog. Um, I think it's all reciprocal and it's esteem. Thank you very much. Bless. Thank you for being here. First of all, we appreciate your patience with a, with a little tardiness, but we also appreciate the time you're willing to give us and just the information. Um, we listened to a few episodes and already we're just so enthralled. So. so for those that aren't familiar with Mason, um, could you give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, where you're from? And uh, what brought you to the Jiggy Jiggy podcast as a platform? <laughs> um, uh, so the reason why I'm laughing, I'm trying to figure out how, how intense I should be, right? Um, meaning, uh, I'll start from the very beginning um, because it's relevant. Um, when I was born, my dad stood over my crib and gave me the opportunity to name myself. He told me, he, he looked at me while I was in the, in, the, in the, you know, neonatal ward or whatever, and he raised his left hand and he said, Noble, and he raised his right hand and said, Mason, and then he looked at me and then I raised my right hand, right? So I chose my, my, my name, Mason, uh, Mason Aluna Day. That was from this book, uh, from a Yorba Names book. And, um, I don't know why they chose it, but in your uh, Yoruba, Aluna uh, Day means here comes the master artist, right? And so um, I was bewildered by that for uh, a large portion of my life um, because I didn't know what that meant. Um, and there's a lot of pressure, you know, being told that, you know, all, every, all, whenever I was thought about it. Or, you know, when you're young and you have to say, what's your middle name? Oh, you're, you know, people try and guess your middle name. And I say, you're never going to guess what my name is. You know, nobody, very few people in Lanham, Maryland would guess what Even <laughs> my <close>. name was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They say Oscar Oliver or something. But then I break out alone a day and they want to make fun. And then I say the meeting, they're like, hmm. um, but throughout that time, as it relates to this, um, you know, I, my parents have always been gardening and stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, my grandma also and, and all that stuff. So I kind of absorbed all that passively. And my parents would show me all the different plants that they were growing. 
in the backyard and and my dad and I would pick mulberries when we lived in a, this apartment complex or condos in um in a in Adelphi and you know all that all that natural stuff. Um and um later as it relates to building the podcast, I was I had started working at the University of Maryland in the School of Agriculture in this lab where we studied chickens, growth hormone responses and stuff like that. And um, we went to uh, University of Delaware for this experiment. And while we were there, we went to um, my boss's PhD advisor's house. He lived in um, just on the other, just on this, just on the other side of the border, Pennsylvania and Delaware. And uh, while we were there, his wife is from Thailand and she made us this amazing pad thai. She's so excited to, to cook and made us this pad thai and it was amazing. Um, I haven't had pad thai like that, but I also wouldn't order pad thai again out of just respect for, for right, her that level of, right, yeah, right, right. Exactly. But um, I heard that she had grown the peppers that she had made the pad thai with. And I was like, um, and she had been, and so we talked more about it and she said, yeah, I've been growing these peppers. I've been cultivating them for heat since I brought them here when I came here in the seventies. I was like, sheesh. So I asked her if I could have some and she was like, and you know, her eyes, you know, Lit up. Ooga, That's what I mean, and, yeah, yeah. and her husband was like, oh shit. Like, here, here, we go. here we go. He done, <laughs> done opened up a can of worms. <laughs> um, and, um, and so, yeah, she gave me some and, she said, you know, and this rule still applies, you know, plant them first week of March, first harvest, first week of September, right? And so um, so that's what I did. I think I planted them on the 9th of March. Um, I took like a couple, uh, you know, 16-ounce water bottles, cut them the, the last third off, poked some holes in the bottom, put some, just took whatever soil was in the garden beds, put them in there broke open the peppers, stirred up the pepper in that soil, soaked it in water, left it on my bedroom um, thing. And, you know, peppers came and then um, we planted them and peppers, more peppers came. Um, it was towards later that summer. Um, well, uh, sorry to stop you. What was the timeline like for that, for those peppers? As it relates to everything I just talked about? Like, uh, like how long just before you start was able to cultivate? Oh, I mean, like four months, right? Because like I was like I was gonna say, um, towards the end of August is when, you know, well, even in like July, you know, if you if you do it right with peppers, peppers are super prolific. Um, uh, especially like hot peppers and stuff like that, especially the ones that we were growing, the Thai chili peppers, they're really thin. Maybe, maybe they'll get as long as your pinky, right? Um, and, uh, and they're going to be the same width as the bone inside of your pinky. They're not really big at all. Um, but, uh, so I took one, I ate just the tip of the hot pepper and it gave me crazy hiccups. And I was like, I got to learn so much more <laughs> about this because I never had this reaction from eating food where I'm, you know, right. like your chest feels like rubber or something like that. It's, 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 you, you know, whatever. 
you never yeah yeah it's exactly. just very like what, what what is happening right now yeah so i was like i need to figure i need to learn way more about this and um and so that really got me started with it and and um then from from that i tried to learn more about it and once i moved out of my parents house the next year um into uh where i was living in in northeast on y avenue um i had more of peppers growing at my grandma's house in southeast off of texas avenue and then um at my parents house in Atlanta, right and then i was like yo i could make something with these and um i was like let me let me make some icy hot and because the hot in icy hot is capsaicin, which is the primary, you know, um, the molecule that makes the heat from peppers. That's what binds to the heat and pain receptors in your body and creates that creates that heat. Um, and so, and menthol, which is menthol, is what the icy is, um, and that comes from mint, right? So I was like, yo, I can grow both of these, um, extract it in some Everclear. Evaporate the Everclear, take that oil that's left over, combine that with some shea butter, boom, icy hot. Um, so I tried that in the wintertime. And uh, when I ground up the peppers in Everclear, I, I unintentionally made tear gas <laughs> in my kitchen, you know? Yes. And it was terrible. No, I was like deep, like, you know, where you could feel the crude cough from the bottom of your lungs, you know, you see, you know, your lungs are shaped like your hands upside down. Right. And so like basically the tip of my middle fingers, I could feel me coughing. It was terrible, bro. Cause I was, I lifted up the thing and just, boom, it just hit me, you know, and I breathed it all in. And so my roommate was upstairs and I had another roommate downstairs. I was like, Guys, don't come. <laughs> you know, it's, it's danger zone. Danger. It was bad. I created cross draft and, and and got it all out there. But I was like, oh, this is this is how this stuff is done. This is I just gave myself. I just biological warfare myself. You know, and I kind of put that idea to the side. Although I took the Everclear and pepper juice and left it in a in a in a jar like this and uh let it to evaporate but i didn't collect it or anything like that because i was traumatized yeah that's <laughs> you can't even that's yeah. a great you like this is a crazy discovery but also my face my Literally. lungs my chest this shit is a gray zone it's like nah you're like i can't even <laughs> process the, the positive yeah. right now Exactly. So I didn't explore that any any further. But what I I was really excited and empowered to continue with cultivation. And so the next year, um, I worked on at that same time I started. Um, so that was like 2015, and later that winter time into 2016. Um, I think that's the time frame. Somewhere around then, I started growing weed because I could in D.C. And that taught me a whole lot about growing because uh, Mary is a finicky sister. 
She is a princess when you're growing her indoors in a drafty old uh, quadruplex in Northeast DC. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's, uh, but I got it, you know, and uh, I didn't get that much because I wasn't growing it for, like my, my, my philosophy had started changing as I started growing, right? Because I was like, especially when I was growing Mary, because it was like, she would respond to anything that I did. And, and like, if I didn't go with water, <laughs> if I fed her too much, you know, <laughs> if I didn't fertilize enough, she wouldn't be all stellar and all this stuff. And it was instant. Other plants, you have to wait for things to see, but with um, growing shorty indoors, it's not that way. Um, and, but outside, you don't have to even do anything for shorty to grow. She's, she's weed, right? But inside, she's, she's, uh, the same, the same thing. Like somebody, I saw this meme a long time ago, maybe it was on Twitter or whatever, about how unfair Link's life was because Zelda was always getting scooped up, you know? And uh, and same thing with uh, Princess Peach from Mario. It's like, why why do you keep getting scooped up? You know, and that's kind of like what what that's like what it was for me with with Mary. I was Mario and Link. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was yeah, ridiculous. Um, but um, but. Yeah, like I said, I learned a whole lot. And I was like, yo, if I can do this, since I've done this and, you know, gotten a reliable harvest, um, I, can, I can do more things. But developing this kind of relationship with this need-based relationship, this codependent relationship with, um, with, uh, with Mary was like, I can't grow her to, for like maximum harvest, right? Like, when, indoors, when people grow marijuana, what they do is take their little grow box or whatever, and they set up this, um, you do this, I forget what it's, I forget what it's called, but you set up this net in a grid pattern, like, you know, like some sort of grid pattern. And then you bend all of the branches, you know, they have one branch like this, and then you bend all the branches out so that you can have as many branches going up from the central, central branch so that you can make as many dank nubs as possible. Um, but I had already disagreed with bonsai as like a concept because I had braces, right? And so with bonsai, making bonsai plants, you the, the trunks that, or the branches that come, you tie these copper wires around them and then stake them into the soil. And then that's how they get all those interesting shapes. The plant doesn't grow like that. Humans make the plant grow like that, right? And given our history in this country, I was like, mm, I'm not too much with this bend to my will situation, right? Um, especially if I want to get the, if, because with marijuana, you are preventing her from reproducing, right? These dank nugs are so funky and so sticky because they're doing so, so that they can attract at least one grain of pollen right? So that they can make the next generation. And what we're doing when we're growing marijuana is we're preventing her reproduction, right? And so you're doing all this thing. And what, we're, what I felt like what we were doing is 
um, this thing where she's like, somebody, 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 you know, doing all these different attractive things to get anything to be able to take all of the information that she's learned, all of the genetic experiences and pass it on. But instead we turn it into smoke, right? So I was like, I want to let Shorty know that I'm doing this to her, that I'm, I'm ending her life in this particular way. So how can I grow her as harmoniously as possible, letting her know that she's the end of her genetic line? You know? Um, because- So wait, wait, wait. That's a crazy conceptual <laughs> standpoint to go into. Like, what was the turning point for you when it, it was it just the build of that relationship of how, just how responsive it was when it was just like, you know, this no, it, it was, I guess it was the discovery that the more floral, the more stinky, the more, you know, whatever, more sour the diesel becomes, it's to attract bugs to bring a grain of pollen from the male marijuana plant. And the longer that you grow marijuana, the bigger these, the flowers get, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not letting her do her job. So that was kind of the, that was the thing when I was reading this, I was like, oh shit, like I'm, I'm interfering here. You're like limiting so, its nature. Right. And so if I don't want to be, I want to decrease the amount of paranoid that I get when I smoke my own weed, right? So I didn't want her to be like, why don't you, why don't you let me do this? You know? Like I didn't want that in my zone. <laughs> no, I understand. In your, in your, in your. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, exactly. I completely understand what you mean. Second guessing yourself because you didn't let me bust that nut. Like what? No, I don't want that. You know. Um, <laughs> I get so, it. I get it. But did you feel a difference in the affect of the high, like after you started changing um, how you were like cultivating and growing it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because what uh what I had gained from Shorty was growing weed that would let you do what you wanted to with the weed. Um a lot of I had I know that when I was smoking weed and stuff like that, like I would get too paranoid because ultimately I didn't realize like what I really wanted to do was to be by myself and create, right. To make, um, when I was like in college and stuff like that, I didn't know what I wanted necessarily to create. So I, I hold it to me. And I do say this as a guide for other people, but for those of us without real trauma, like myself, without real, without chemical imbalances most of my imagination most of my anxiety is undisciplined imagination most of my worries are just imagination that isn't focused onto what actually the possibility can be right and so i'm just thinking about worst case or weirdest case as opposed to successful case or normal case you know so um, when I would just appreciate smoking weed with my roommates that we would jam or whatever, play guitar and all this different stuff, or, um, or I would be, you know, working on learning in co or working on my video stuff or 
or whatever it is, reading, reading, then that would be the time where my imagination could go forth and I could do what I believe Mary is supposed to be doing, right? Enhancing my senses and, you know, different, different pathways and stuff like that. And so, um, is that an answer to your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so from there, uh, when I, when I was ready to start growing, I was like, hell yeah. You know, I had brought, I had bought another grow tent and it was much bigger. Um, cause I wanted to start more seeds and stuff like that. And I had had this sort of cooperative economic model that I thought about where, you know, I can grow like these different herbs and I can grow them in a gallon jug and I can leave them on people's doorstep and harvest them and pay them a percentage of profits of whatever particular thing I developed out of those crops. Right. So I was growing like lemon mint and um, lemon mint as a, as, like when you tasted it, it was amazing. It tasted like, it tastes like, like in a tea, it tastes like how Sprite tastes from McDonald's. Does that make sense? Like super refreshing. It's like, ah, oh, that's exactly what I needed, right? You know, when you, when you, you know, go to McDonald's, you get that wide, that wide straw Sprite and you hit it and it's all like, ah, yes, you know, it's so good, right? Nobody can, you know, it's engineered to be that way. And with the lemon mint, it's like that, but in a hot tea capacity. So I was like, yo, I should make some tea bags with this and I can sell this and I can pay my neighbors or whatever because they have this stuff growing on their front lawn or front yard and it can be just passively watered um, because it's a, mint is an herb and it doesn't really need that much to be able to do it. And I can just come and blah, blah, blah. So I, had, I bought another tent to, to do all of this stuff with. And, um, and these same things is when I started uh, listening to this one podcast, the Regenerative Agriculture Podcast, and there was a guest on there who talked about Korean natural farming. And I was like, what is that about? Because I had known about like no-till farming, which is where you don't, well, there's a whole bunch of different things as it relates to no-till. But I was always trying to increase the harmonious practice of growing crops for sustenance and, and ornamental and stuff like that, right? Um, so um, um, I started learning about Korean natural farming and Japanese natural farming and zero input Indian natural farming and these different natural farming techniques. And then I was like, um, what about African natural farming? You know, um, because we've been here, you know, I got, I inherited four green thumbs, you know, from both, all four of my grandparents, you know, and um, I'm the only child. So I gotta, I gotta, you know, whatever, but I'm not hearing anything as it relates to what we're doing. Right. So where did I start? I started with um, Dr. George Washington Carver, Nana Kwame Afrani. And, uh, and I wanted to get his bulletins, you know, because we know we all went to, we all had black history month, you know, about him and the peanut mm -hmm. and other things. As a matter of fact, on Valentine's day, 2019, I, um, was super fortunate. I don't know. I don't know where y'all are at, but I went to. Um, uh, are y'all familiar with Sankofa, the bookstore on George yeah. Avenue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was highly was having a rare book sale, 
um, there as he kind of does because he's, you know, doing the documentary. And man, Nina found this as a reproduction of, uh, but it is one of his bulletins. Um, and this is How to Grow the Peanut in 105 Ways for Preparing It for Human Consumption, sixth edition by uh, George Washington Carver. It's a crazy artifact. Yeah, that's yeah, super hype, man. Um, because that's not what they tell you about it. That is a like, like I said, a hundred and five ways for consumption, right? Um, and then he's got books like this for sweet potatoes, for tomatoes. You know, um, I mean, these bulletins. There are forty-four bulletins that he made for black farmers in the South coming up from slavery, right? Um, uh, working at Tuskegee. Um, and I went to Tuskegee to, or I went to the website to try and look, read some of these things, but I was like, what the hell? I can't read them. Um, and that was a blow, but it's, I mean, you know, skin folk, kin folk, that dilemma, right? Um, that I was like, how, I can't get access to this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like I could find one or two, you know what I mean? Um, but it was still very weird. And um, in, yeah, in 2019, I met um, my friend who I hadn't met till then, but uh, um, she, uh, I always mispronounce her name because I only met her once, even though I've known her for like six years at this point. Um, but my friend, um, Alea, Alea Frazier, um, she, and she, used to work at this time for a University of Maryland extension. And she, um, she, uh, she was a huge inspiration for me, even starting this podcast um, and getting me um, confident in what I was sort of doing, right? Um, and uh, I went to there and she was there and I was saying, yo, I've been trying to find these things. And she was like, oh no, I have them on a Google Drive. Do you want me to send them to you? I was like, what the <laughs> hell? How do you have all of these on a Google? She's like, oh, my friend is doing some graduate study at, at, at Tuskegee and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, hell yeah, send that shit to me. And so uh, she sent it to me. And um, the university and I, worker. I say, you know. Um, and so I was like, huh. I looked through it and it was missing one. I was like, damn. But then I, I found it, you know. Um, Wait, is the one so, the one that you had? No, 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 no. This, this is the no. This one is the most. This one is the most famous bulletin, you know, um, because we all know about it. But um, one of my my mentor, uh, um, Inchazaji Axum at uh, UDC, he told me about another book where Dr. Carver and Tom, uh, Henry Ford <laughs> um, had developed an entire car body out of soy. Mm -hmm. And with this car body, it was stronger than steel because Henry Ford would be out there with this mallet and he would swing it on different panels of the body. And if it dented, he'd tell him back to the, you know, back to the drawing room. Um, and so they made one and the color would last and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, how did you make plastic from soy? It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but he did this with Dr. Carver, because at that point in time, when Henry Ford was around, um, you know, the Henry, that, that Ford plant up there in Dearborn was like a zero waste 
situation. Um, anyway, um, the bulletin that wasn't there, that uh, was uh, the, the last one that he made. It was called Nature's Garden for Victory and Peace or something like that. And it was more geared towards the education of children as it relates to agriculture. Um, and so I found that one and I felt really excited because um, I had been able to remember his body of work. And, and what I am saying, remember specifically and remember is that we have to go all the way back to the very beginning of time. Um, uh, at the very beginning of time with Asar, Aset, and Set, right? So meaning Osiris, um, Isis, and Set. I, I don't know what people call them. Um, uh, Set, is, this is the same story, Hamlet or Star you know, or the Lion King is the same story. There was the king and he had everything. There was his brother and he had nothing and he was jealous and he wanted it. So Set killed, uh, uh, Asar or Osiris and scattered all 13 parts of his body throughout the earth. Aset was displeased and upset and all of this kind of stuff. And so she then remembered 12 of the 13 pieces, but she could not find his phallus. And so that is the creation of the, uh, the tekanu or um, what the Greeks called obelisks, right? Or what we know as like the structure, like the Washington Monument, yeah. as the uh, the um, the last piece of his body, right? And from that, she then was able to create the rest of uh, Kemet. And so, in the same way, she remembered his body, right? Remembered, and in the same way, I was able to remember the sort of. Uh, written legacy of Dr. Carver. And um, all those files are available for free on, uh, on, my, on my website, jiggyjiggy.org slash Carver. Um, J-I-G-I-J-I-G-I dot O-R-G slash Carver. Um, they're available individually to download, individually to read as a PDF, or you can download them as a zip drive. You know, they're all there. Um, and that was really exciting for me to be able to put forth uh, because that's the information that we need to know. However, still in that information, I wasn't able to find what I wanted to find. And I had read this other book that I think SARE, S-A-R-E, um, is a sustainable agriculture research something um, done by the, the USDA. They put out this book called Land and Power. And in it, they talked about um, how Dr. Carver and Dr. Washington were at odds because Doc, uh, Dr. Booker T. Washington was, was being sponsored with Tuskegee by these different companies who made fertilizer. And Dr. Carver was like, we don't need any of that stuff. But he was like, you need to tell people that we need this stuff because that's how you get paid. That's how this whole thing works, right? So even though in, in his bulletin number six, how to build up worn out soils, he talks about building up worn out soils from swamp muck and, and all these different organic materials like jeans and old shirts and all these different things. He still recommended different things like buying potash and lye and, and these different things because he had to. So then I kind of was set forth on to this longer journey um, that I'm, you know, accomplishing with the podcast. Um, and 
I was talking with my buddy, um, uh, Michelle Andre, and uh, and he, I wanted to do some sort of podcast because I was listening to this other podcast that was talking about when you should be getting paid for the, uh, if there's something that you like to talk about, you should be, you should be paid for as a consultant to do that. And I was like, hmm, well, the only thing I really want to talk about like that is plants. Um, but I also felt like I couldn't charge for this in some capacity. Now that's changed <laughs> since then, but, um, but I came up with this sort of idea for the, uh, for the um, podcast. Cause I was like, I was talking with him and I was like, man, I don't want to do how, how to grow tomatoes the black way. You know, that, that didn't make sense to me because tomatoes are tomatoes um, and they'll grow whatever way. Um, but I was then, when I was talking to him, it's like, oh, how do you grow tomato? How do you grow while you grow tomatoes? That's the what I want to talk about with the podcast, right? Because for us as Black people, it's not the technique that you, I mean, you need to know the technique, but there isn't a Black form of the technique. What there is a Black form of is your thought and how you grow the food that you grow to grow your body, grow your mind, and your everything that your ambition, your family, blah, 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 blah. And so that's when I was like, oh, I'll just be talking about what I already really talk about, right? You know, like I say to people all the time, you probably don't have problems with your plants. You probably are just watering them on your schedule, not on the schedule of your plants, right? Um, you know, you're trying to grow too many plants at once. You haven't sort of established this kind of stuff within your own mind yet to be able to extend all of these different sorts of points of focus throughout all the different plants that you grow because you, you, got, you got hype, New Year's resolution, you know, different things going on. I'm going to grow carrots, broccoli, squash. Um, I, I'm going to buy a bonsai tree. I'm going to buy a corn plant. I'm going to buy these different things. I just want to be surrounded by green because I am not surrounded with the love internally, right? There's all these different things that people got going on that they try to mask through externalization. But um, Dr. Zama said it yesterday with a new proverb. He said, the soil will never fool you. Um, and in this way, it's like these plants died because you're not together, right? But it doesn't mean that you have a black thumb. You're just not ready. Right. And you may need to go through plants is what, I, is what I had to tell my mom. Like, you are just not ready yet. Keep buying plants and they may keep dying, but you're not ready yet to be there again. You have to figure out what is going on with you in order to have it like that. Because that's the only explanation. You know, I have a plant and I'll forget about it and give it to her. But if she gets it and it dies, it's not the plant's problem. It's her problem, but it may not be, she may be paying too much attention to the plant, right? And not enough attention internally. But once you find that balance, then you can, you know, it can keep going. That's at least my sort of philosophy with it. And, um, and so what I wanted to be able to see with the podcast was what information contained within traditional African stories, traditional African spirituality within Proverbs has information that I could find relevant towards contemporary agricultural studies 
that could be a guidepost for us as we continue to grow food? That's the answer to that first question that you, <laughs> you asked me. Well, first, let me say thank you because that was super, super descriptive. Right, you definitely went completely into detail and gave us like, multiple different access literally. points and information <laughs> that we could use. Like you gave us literally step-by-step -step for certain things. Thank you. <laughs> I want to, um, but before I guess we move on to more questions, I want to touch on just specifically why you felt like it was so important to have this relationship to introspection and plant growth and not in a, in a, not in a, in a personal, I know that you seem to be the type of person, like you care about what you're going to do with your time, where you put your energy at and the other objects and things around. It's like, do you just, you're moving with intention, but I'm curious, like you said before you did, you were unsure about if you were going to spend, like have people like charge people to give them access to this information. Like it, did, it didn't seem like you were using it as a form of capital yet. Like, but you still wanted people to look introspectively. Was was this just you as a community worker, or were you just like, damn, everybody's plants no, are dying no, around me? Kind of a blind. No, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't that so much. It was just because that's kind of what I was feeling spiritually at the time. Because I'll say it like this: like, because this is another thing that I'm learning recently, especially moving down south, man. Um, when I grew up we went to church, right? But the church that we went to was intensely philosophical, right? Meaning Jesus as a white man is something I learned about from my friends. But at church, Jesus was an archetype. Jesus was a concept to be thought about, <laughs> but not, you know, wasn't, you know, we're, oh, let's remember, let's remember what, you know, so I it never- wasn't so flesh bound. It yeah, was like- so, yeah, exactly. So leaving Christianity was fairly easy um, for me, right? Mm -hmm. But as you all have friends who have left the Abrahamic situation and are looking for something out there, you get caught up in other people's nonsense, right? Meaning you'll get caught up in and it's not that it's nonsense, it's just nonsense to you as an African descendant person. Ayurveda doesn't mean anything to you. That's not your history, right? Zen, Shinto stuff doesn't mean anything to you. It's not your history. So you, get, you can get caught up in their stuff and be led astray. Said differently, each one of our legs generally is shorter than one another, right? And so if you walk into the woods, you need to be able to develop markers for when you're walking off the path, because if you start walking with one of your legs shorter than one another, you're not going to walk in a straight line. What you're going to do is walk in a slight curve, yeah. right? And so then when you turn back around to walk backwards, you're then going to walk in another curve and you're endlessly going to fractalize within this woods. And a lot of us do that with our own spirituality, right? And so we get confused about what it is that we're thinking that we're doing, what we're doing, and what is correct and what is right, right? We get caught up in those four woods and we, you know, because we don't, because, you know, Jesus is confusing. And I, 
we don't have to go into it, but I think that that's the point. But I'm I'm real hardcore at that. Um, so, and I've become even more hardcore with that, especially recently going to this. Uh, anyway, um, um, like if you want to direct this down that path, like please. At least a little bit, because they. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to say it some way. But it's like, or I'll say it like this: What Jesus told us is that if you act like Him, you will be crucified. As a wrap, and as we've seen it, a lot of people want to, want to be martyrs, and that's whack. Because once you are a martyr, you cannot provide for your family. You cannot provide for your children. You cannot, cannot provide for the people in your life that you love. You take the, it's, it's almost a nihilistic proposition to be able to take this Jesus way out, right? It's whack to me. You know, if we're cultivating life, then you can't look at this thing of how, to, how do I die by sticking to my politics 100%. Like, that's not the way. That's not the way. Um, so I would never recommend that. And in that same way, right, thinking about this, this, this sort of Eastern ascetic, asceticism, like, oh, it comes from me from God, so I can't charge for it. No, that's nonsense. It's your talent. You should be able to derive an income from your talent. Who else is going to be able to perpetuate your talent? It's your talent. So that's why I sort of abandoned that idea. I mean, especially in this current mode of society. Like Man, what? I'm working as an academic and living in D.C. on, what, 35K? And I'm not, I mean, now, one of the other things that was confusing is, like, how do I price this shit? And that's, an, that's, that's a situation that all entrepreneurs go through. Um, because pricing is weird because you will generally undervalue what you have to offer, right? And trying to work for your people in the same time is going to force you to undervalue what you do. Um, you know, I was, I, I went into this restaurant on Georgia Avenue. I'm not even sure if it's there anymore or not. And, um, she had all these flies flying around my face and I knew exactly what it was and exactly what to do. And I told her, this is exactly what it was. This is what you need to do. She said, can you do it? And I said, yeah, I can, but it's going to cost. And she was like, um, I don't have that kind of money. And so I was like, well, I have, I need, I need money. So whatever you got, I'll do. And I ended up working five times as hard as I needed to, you know? Um, but it was still cool to have done it, you know? So I wasn't like, I'm not going to do this, blah, 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 blah. But it did change me in saying, I need to figure out a different way to make, <laughs> to make this work. And maybe I should just stick with this as, as it relates to consulting and drawing up some sort of stuff. But I even kind of dropped that as a business plan somewhat now. I still do it, but it's not like something that I'm trying to, because business is marketing period, as you guys have found with doing the podcast, you know, you guys struggle with the same thing that I'm struggling with who that out there is listening to this stuff. If, if the guest doesn't tell me that he's listening, I don't know who's listening. Um, you know, part of the impetus for, for me getting on this thing was me posting this story about the workshop that I'm doing, um, Rediscovering Your Heritage Through Your Habits and Hobbies. 
every Monday, first Monday of every month uh, on Eventbrite, O-L-O-N-A.de slash rediscovering. Um, and you can sign up. Um, one of the people who was there the last time, um, uh, Ruth and Sasha, they listened to the podcast. I don't even know who they are. Which right. is dope, you know? But I, and because she was like, "Oh yeah, I found out about this through through your um through your podcast." I was like, "I don't even talk about my personal Instagram page on my podcast." Yeah, what are you talking about? You found but, you know, me through the podcast, and exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but I which mean, is even whatever. cooler in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, to be able to find that particular that that particular um that bulletin required that early internet internet detective skills you know what i'm saying so i can't be mad if somebody finds me in the same way that i found my information um so so yeah it was just working through that confusion about understanding what i'm trying to do versus what i need to be able to what i need to be able to do that makes sense you talk about um community a lot what's your personal community like what's your household like is it just you and your partner is that too personal first of all like I just want to establish a base for listeners like how are you moving in the world like are there other people that you take care of and stuff like that um you know I'm an only child of an only child and an eldest child right so the independence is necessary for me. Uh, right now, it's it's uh, me and Nina um, in our house, and um, and we got beef with our parents. <laughs> As everybody's got beef, most people got beef with their parents. Um, and what's been more interesting about being an adult uh, is being beefing with your parents because you're on more equal footing and you can see them more as humans. And you can see their shortcomings and knowing they're never going to get over this shit, you know? And, and, uh, and they made me to be able to be able to see that within myself and get over it. You know what I mean? They did it. So how do I, how do I work through that? You know, and that's, I guess what therapy is for and <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah. Cause uh, it's going to be a lifelong thing. You're going to see things that you see in them that you like, Oh, are you like that? And, I used and I to have, do that. Yeah. All that. And, yeah. I, and I haven't even, um, you know, we'll, we'll be working on that later this year after we get married um, as it relates to starting for kids and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that'll be a whole different thing where mm. it'll just be, as, as Reggie said, you know, an intensely introspective situation. But for now, what I'm really excited about Especially, especially as it relates to the podcast, is that I do volunteer at this uh, at Three Sisters Farm and Market on West Boulevard out here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, and that's been a extremely fulfilling and the hardest thing that it's been extremely fulfilling and it's also been the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, and I go out there every Saturday to deal with these knucklehead boys, try and teach them something. Um, but everybody's too cool and they want to, you know, they want to rap. They want to come to work high. They want to do, they don't want to learn. Um, they want to act like children. It's, 
really frustrating. But what are the um, age groups that you're working with? High school. High school boys out here in the hood. You know, you all know them. You were them. I was them. (laughs) I went to school with these boys who would always get written up and all this nonsense. And then, and then, you know, you'd have, you'd be in class that day where they weren't there because they were sick. And you'd be like, damn, class is flying by. What's going on? It's like, oh, you know, Mike isn't here today. You know, Andre isn't here today. That's why class is zooming by and we're actually learning something today. <laughs> but you know, they, they, they appreciate you. There's always, you know, they always listen in when you know. No, I, 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 yeah, I yeah. know it's, but it's like, it's a whole different thing when kids graduate from the program and then the next year they're getting shot. It's a whole different thing. You know what I'm saying? It's a whole different thing when I've been offered a job to do hydroponics at the prison, right? Mm-hmm. Where the best, the best kids at the youth detention facility get to learn hydroponics. And then what happens? As I was told in the interview, when you lose one out of seven every year, Whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not enough to be able to have them listen just a little bit, right? When they're embracing destruction, you know what I'm saying? I was thinking a lot about it because when I tell people that I used to listen to Screamo and shit like that when I was younger, they're like, you, Mr. Africa? How are you listening to Screamo? It's like, yo, because nothing was cranking like how Funeral Diner was cranking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, bro, I'm a person, <laughs> man. I'm a person. I, yeah, I'm a, I I'm a person. Yeah. But when I, when I was listening to the 2006 South by Southwest mixtape and Collapsing by Funeral Diner came on, whew, I was driving in this winter ennui, um, going to whatever I was going to, and <gasps> Yeah, I was like, yo, this song is speaking to me directly. Yo. He's like, this shit is here. <laughs> like, <laughs> and what I realized is that this is no different from somebody listening to whatever destructive music is going on out there today, right? For me, it was the crushing, developing existentialism, right, of puberty, right? And for the boys, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, we need, when that testosterone starts flowing, you begin to have these urges to kill, to hunt, to destroy. That is what it means to be a man, right? And I can't say that drill music doesn't satisfy that shit. It does. It absolutely does, you know? And, um, but we have to consider the different things that are going on when we're listening to music, right? All y'all are musicians, right? Yeah. Um, and um, so you, I mean, and because we all know one another through show, you know, and the spiritual introspective implications of all this music that we're listening to, right? So I told the boys and they thought I was just being, I don't know what they thought, but I was like, yo, Javoris, I'm trying to hear this garden mixtape, bro. Like, I want to hear that. I mean, you told me to listen to you, you find you on YouTube. This is what I want you to, I want you to rap about the shit that you're learning right here. And he was like, two months go by. And I'm like, yo, Javoris, where's this mixtape at, bro? Like, I'm trying to hear this shit. You know what I mean? Because I think it would be fire, you know? And that could, you know, but I'm also 31. They are 16, 17. 
You know what I mean? I mean, you just gotta press the right. You never know which kid might be like, hold on. I, I, yes, but the freedom to create and like, I can, first of all, the people that's making this stuff, they're doing it, not even, maybe there's a lack of social responsibility. And, you know, there's a whole conversation about that in general, you know, like young thugs in the interview. Hey, I'm just making music to have fun. Like, that's not, I'm not, I'm just a musician. That was his take. So yeah. it's like, what am I supposed to say to that individual human living his experience? But also, I mean, you could just be like, hey, fuck you, bro. You're part of the problem. Like, capitalism is not the way you should be. I mean, if we going to turn up to those beats, the 808 frequency, I mean, can we at least be like, I used to kill people. I used to, now I'm planting herbs and shit. Well, I, I, yeah, I, but this is the thing is that, you know, I would want them, I would want them to do something like what I want to hear. And I'm not giving them money and studio time. I'm not producing this album, right? So I can only give a suggestion because one thing I detest more than anything is hip hopification. That shit is whack to me, right? Like when I see these different people, who do what you just talked about, Xavier? Um, it's it's not for me, you know. Oh, <laughs> I'm making beats, <laughs> not those beats, but B E E T. You know, like fuck that. I hate that shit, bro. I hate it. I hate it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not exactly what I mean, but I, I know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. So I know, I know, I know it's not with, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's that, that to me, because what I, what I want more than anything and every single person's creative output is to truly see who they are. Right. I don't want to see this postmodern nonsense of, well, what is it that you see? Fuck that. I hate that. It's yeah. lazy. That's, that's a bastardization. Uh, yeah. And and I don't want it to be some Rorschach nonsense neither. I want it to be who are you and why should I care about this? You know, how has the garden affected you? H- how has the garden affected you? But I also then know it would be some you know pointing at Lupe Fiasco early backpack gardening rap and I would still hate it. So you know, I can't blame him for not doing it. You know what I mean? All I, I mean, maybe all not I, though. I feel like there's always that pocket. I feel like you know what I mean. If there's if there's the right ear and the right words, like like he could find the specific intricacies of those practices. Right. The, just, they could be talking about just what it feels like to go into the flow of doing it every day and developing that. You know, that's still. And that and, and, and that that would be that would be what I would want to hear. Yeah, right? natural thing. Yeah, I, I totally. Yeah, I would want to hear whatever it is that they do on that um on that documentary that was on Netflix or whatever. I remember um Missy and and Timbaland talking about how they didn't even listen to other people's music when they were making all of the stuff that was so mind bending that they were making right. And that's exactly what I'm kind of talking about. Um, Because like I was talking with my buddy, you know, 
now that I I've kind of moved away from listening to hip hop and stuff like that and just listen to, you know, black American music, right? And listen to whatever up tempo odd meter and produce within if it's especially if an album from 1974, like that's that's what it's gonna be for me. And when I then hear songs that sampled those same songs, I'm like, how was your beat? How was your flow this trash over this beat? Because this beat is like, I mean. No, it's the ocean of it now, you know, like trap music is on ads and shit like that. So expect the oversaturation. I I remember. I promise you, there's some, some like, you know. I remember the first time I heard you on that shit. I definitely hear you. When I heard Lex Luger hi-hats in a Staples commercial, I was like, (laughs) whoa, the game is very different than what I thought. But, um, but anyway, like, uh, being at the farm is a very intense kind of situation because we're out there where we are, right? Um, and like, I want to say to these boys, but I, I also don't want, I need, it's, it's intense because I constantly have to reevaluate myself because I am not trying to be anything like what they experience, right? To show them and me a different way for how to be a man. Meaning, one time I was I was at the farm and I was yelling at one of the boys to try, I was just projecting my voice to try and get his attention. And as that happened, um, one of the boys walked right by and my ear was at, my mouth was at his ear. So I ended up yelling in his ear. I went back to him, I said, I'm so sorry that I yelled in your ear. I didn't mean to do that. He was like, oh no, it's fine, man. It happens. I, I, that's all I hear all day long. And I was like, that's really tough, you know? Um, and it made me like, oh, I'm, I want to put these limits on myself because what I realized towards the end of this last season was they're giving me a 16-year head start on operating with my own son, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I want to be able to show them something completely different as it relates to thinking through all of these problems, right? I am already not a fire and brimstone kind of disciplinarian. Um, The way my dad raised me was this intensely kind of, he didn't know what that, I don't think he knew that that's what it was, but my dad was like, I'm not with the spankings, right? So he, but my dad is huge. He's a big guy, stocky guy, and he's got big eyes. And so, you know, the brow beating was the situation. Um, And that also worked for me when I was disciplining kids, when I worked at uh, summer camps and stuff like that. You know, why did you do that? What made you think that that was a good idea? When you were doing this, what were you thinking about? Why did you think that that would be funny? Would that be funny to you? Blah, 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 blah. And created the consequence of, if I do this, I will get lectured from Mason for the next 35 minutes. So I am not going to do that. That was what I, you know what I mean? And then now I've been developing it to like, damn, if I go through this, I'm going to make myself admit that what I'm about to do is stupid. And I'm going to have to say that out loud. And I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to do this. That's kind of where I want to go with this. But doing that to the boys at the farm is different because nobody asks them questions ever. And one of the things that's really tough is that in trying to do this, like I realized that my disciplinary style 
works for people who have aspirations, right? When they're in the situations that they're in, right? Like I, like I said, I want to tell them, why do you think this farm is here? There are no farms within the zip code where I live. There are no urban farms. There aren't these programs. The boys that go to South, uh, they go to Myers Park High School, South Meg High School, they don't need, they don't need urban farms to provide them with $10 an hour. Their parents work downtown for the bank, for the energy company, for however many banks that exist in Charlotte, right? They don't need this shit. You know, they have family members that have 200 acres of productive land, 25,000 acres of productive land, right? Why are you here? Why do you think you're here to do this, right? Because this is what is available to you here, right? And so we need to use this time to incubate your own mind, to develop something that can take you out of this situation, you know? But nobody's ever, like I said, nobody's ever asked any questions of them. So my kind of disciplinary style is so foreign to them that it's funny, right? So one of the boys was playing peekaboo with my name, right? I was pulling weeds and he and all the rest of the boys were up the top and they would say, Mason. And, and then they would turn around, right? Like you used to do with girls on the blacktop or some goofy shit. Um, and, you know, I'd look and then I'd be like, all right, are we, <laughs> y'all are 16 years old. Are y'all really doing this right now? So then I went up to one of the boys and I said, divorce, why do you lie? And he said, what do you, what do you mean? Why, 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 why do I lie? I said, yeah, why, why do you lie? You, you, you do it often. Why do you lie? He said, oh man, because it's, because it's, well, because it's fun. And you know, I can, you know, I can talk my way in situations and talk my way out of situations. I said, so if that's the case, why are you here working at the farm? He said, oh, well, you know, um, uh, well, uh, uh, well, I do it. I do, um, you know, I'm out here, you know, you get paid to do it for the community. I said, well, if you were here doing it for the community, wouldn't you be working that much harder? Is it, well, I, 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 you know, and that was kind of it for that scenario. And somebody came, customer came or whatever. Then maybe half an hour later, after I was done selling whatever produce to whoever it was, the boys came up to me and they were like, hey man, um, why were you saying that we were, why we were, we were lying uh, why we weren't working the other day? I said, because you weren't working. Having this conversation with, with Christian, then divorce comes up and he's like, why do you lie? What do you gain from lying? And he's asking me this almost in this beautiful rhythmic fashion while I'm having this conversation with, with Christian. We're going back and forth about them not helping me the other day when I was operating as a substitute teacher. He's asking, why do you lie? What do you gain from lying? You know, having this sort of thing. So Xavier, to your point, if that's the sort of thing that they're absorbing passively, then it's cool. But I can't stress how annoying it is the urgency when right because we're doing this situation in a more macroscopic outlook we're we're farming here to be able to in, this is a food desert right so we are providing the freshest greens within the beltway within our equivalent of the beltway and to where there are no grocery stores you got to take two buses and it's two it's a two-hour commute right to do so um, and what we're trying to do is use this as a proof of concept to be able to create a cooperative grocery store that is owned by the community on this piece of land where the farm is, right? 
So what I'm saying is that it's really annoying because this is preventing business from occurring, right? This is preventing what is necessary for this particular community to survive the coming economic wave, right? And we can't make enough tomatoes because the boys won't pick the tomatoes because they are too cool for school, right? And so it's like, how do I, how do I navigate this? So ultimately, like in my community, Nina and I and our friends and West Boulevard, you know, our people, that's, that's, that's my community. <laughs> um, but with that, you know, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough, but it's, it's the work that I want to be doing. So I just want to say important work too. I love that. Like that's super important. Me and Xavier talk so much, uh, not just on the podcast, but in person about how like, arts, craft, hobbies allow, you know, you alternative perspectives or like more nuance to add to your life when you got like all this other like shit going on. Just in our own experience with like growing up young men and like using art as an outlet to have other relationships to the world. It's crazy to think that you're in a position now that where you are trying, like, and not, not just it happening by happenstance, but you're like kind of forcefully trying to create this experience with planting for these like boys. That's like a lot. But I will say that like the most interesting thing about it is like in all the stories that you shared, they're all jovial, um, which means that to a certain extent, like, you're definitely in the community there. Like, well, and how long have you been transplanted there? Like, when did you move to the South? How long have you been working at the farm? Um, how long have you been planted? First, I want to recognize that amazing pun that you just put in there. I don't know if you heard it, Reggie, but you said, how long have I been transplanted there? So um, that was awesome. Um, uh, we moved down here in July of 2020. Um, before I came down here, I was like, yo, um, black people, as you know, um, black people use the internet completely differently than how it was intended to be used. Right. <laughs> and whatever farm work that I'm trying to find is not going to be found on the internet because whoever's running that is too busy. Right. Um, because it's not like I make it easy to find my podcast neither. Right you know, the jiggyjiggy.org, africulturepodcast.com. That's, that's a lot, you know, you know, um, I could have called it blackwithplants.com or, you know, whatever, you know, I, mean, I, I think jiggyjiggy.org is, no, they, no, it has to be because like, because that's what I'm doing, you know what right. I'm saying? But it's, it's, it's not that we have this sort of, it's just how we communicate information is fundamentally different than how Everybody else communicates information. I, I, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so because one of the things I was really disappointed by with working in D.C. is that D.C. is what it is, meaning um, D.C. is a people of color city now, right? And me doing Jiggy Jiggy Africulture podcast, I wanted to be able to help my people only. <laughs> and that's not possible in DC because there isn't that set up, 
But down here, when we where we were living, um, I drove by to go, we went to the farmer's market and then I drove by this farm and the farm was on Romeria Bearden Drive. I was like, oh. And then I drove two streets up and then there was Dr. Carver Lane. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I need to figure out what's going on over there because that's where I'm supposed to be, right? There's a farm on Romeria Bearden Drive. What? So um, I drove by um, and uh, I drove by one day where it was just one truck, so I didn't go. And then I drove by another day looking for muscadines. Um, and uh, if you've never had them, if the listeners have never heard them, muscadines are the flavor. A perfectly ripe muscadine is the flavor of grape soda. It's amazing. Yeah, bro. Muscadine? <laughs> yeah. Muscadines, they're America's native grape, especially from Virginia down to like uh, somewhere, somewhere down, further down south. Muscadines, they're amazing. They're huge. You know, when you get seeded grapes from the grocery store or whatever, all them alkaline people say that that's what you should eat. Um, the seeded grapes can fit inside of a muscadine. They're enormous. <laughs> they're amazing. They're like the size of... Um, yeah, they're just, they're, they're really big. They could be like, they could be, oh, that doesn't mean, they could be like an inch in diameter. They're amazing. Okay. Um, so I was looking for those and I saw, I saw, um, I saw all the kids out there and I was like, yo, I stopped by, I was wearing, um, I was wearing another. So let me take a pause real quick and explain what the name of Jiggy Jiggy is, right? Mm -hmm. So I bought this Yor Yoruba Proverbs book and I was like, I'm trying to figure out a name for the podcast. I don't know what it's going to be, but what I'm going to do is my own form of divination that I have kind of created for myself um, or the way to find spirit through work rather. And so I had, I don't, I mean, I, I run downstairs and get it, but it's not necessary um, right now. But uh, I just opened up the book. I just had, this is a dictionary, but I had the Proverbs book. I opened it up. And I looked at the page, and then right there on the page was the proverb, Jiggy Jiggy Koshe Fatu, a firmly rooted plant cannot be uprooted. And I was like, there we go. That's the whole aspect of this sort of agricultural prowess that's within us and what we need to be able to move forward, right? I was like, there it is. It's Jiggy Jiggy Afroculture Podcast. So, um... I was really excited and I and I was wearing one of the shirts that I had made um, with another Yoruba proverb on it. And the proverb is uh, which means the yam is in your hand, the knife is in your hand. And um, I have this graphic that shows like two hands like this um, outstretched and offering a machete in one hand and then two sweet potatoes in the other. And, um, and that proverb really is talking about everything that you need to be able to manifest your sustenance and moving forward is already within your hands. You just have to do the work to be able to make these yams into uh, <laughs> sweet potatoes. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, sweet potato fries, you know, mashed potatoes, whatever. You have it already. So I was wearing this shirt and one of the boys said, what's that on your shirt? And I told them what I just told you. And they were like, that's really dope. And, um, and I was looking at their the crops and everything. And I was like, mm, this needs some work, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, while I'm telling this story and Mr. Ricky pulls up and he's like, Hey man, I told y'all about talking. And the boys was like, I wasn't talking, man. I was, I was, he was telling me about this, uh, the African stuff. I mean, you said we wanted to learn, right? You said that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing. And so, and, and he was like, 
And so he's walking down, just like, you're lying to me, but I don't think you were, you know, you know, navigating Something's that kind of thing. Happening. Yeah, exactly. Right. He was just like, get back to work because you know you're not supposed right. to be down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're trying to do the mom said this, but dad exactly. says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so he and I uh, enter in a conversation and I was saying like, I wasn't trying to cause problems, you know, they asked me about this and I was telling them about it. And so then he was like, uh, then he told me the entire story about this area of land from um, West Boulevard, from the, from where it turns into East Boulevard at Tryon, uh, sorry, not on Trade Street, all the way to the airport. And that specific West Boulevard corridor as it relates from reconstruction to that day that he was telling me, told me the entire history. I said, damn, you should have told me. I like, I, I could have recorded all of right. that right this now. This could have been documented. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, he just laid it out. And so um, I was saying, yeah, I mean, I've been, um, I just moved down here, just got my master gardener certificate. Um, and he was like, okay, are you looking for something to do? And I said, yeah. And he said, come back on Saturday. And I said, okay. And then he said, before you do that, come, come. And so he took me up to these boys that were sitting there. And he said, uh, this is Mason. He's going to be working with us. And then he walked away. And I was like. <laughs> 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 and so then I started telling these boys, like, hey. Um, I've already grown weed. I've grown all these different things that you're familiar with. And this is kind of what I want to share with you. If I can, I can show you how to rap, or not how to rap, but how to grow all the things that your favorite rapper raps about, right? Because all of what it is, is a value-added product. The same way that we can make ketchup from, or we can make ketchup from tomatoes, same way we can make honey mustard from um, mustard seed, the same way that we can make barbecue sauce from tomatoes, is the same way that cocaine is made from coca leaves, same way heroin, is made from opium poppy seed, right? And they were like, barbecue sauce is made from tomatoes? And I said, yo, yes, absolutely, blah, blah, blah. And then so we went into it from there. And that so was you kind had of the, You had the entryway. You had the entryway on lot. Yes, but I still do not like that. The gradual, related yeah, you know, like, yeah, like yeah. I asked a lot of people, like, how, do, how does this work, right? Because you can, y'all hear me talk and I'm not, I don't code switch because that's lame. Um, I'm me all the time. And uh, because that, like, <laughs> anyway, I don't have to go into that. Uh, well, I could, but performing your own blackness is whack to me, even to other black people. It's disingenuous. And it's, you have to be yourself. That is the, there's a really good book that I recommend to all of your listeners. Um, it's titled Finite and Infinite Games by uh, James P. Carse, C-A-R-S-E. And um, uh, that's kind of where I developed this um, that lecture from. I, I would read quotes, but I'll, I'll do that later. That's not necessary at this point in time. Um, but it is, it, what he talks about in that book is the difference between being theatrical and being dramatic. And, 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 um, and I don't remember which one is which, but one of them is to be ignored um, because one of them 
is only one of them. One of them is, let's say, the act being theatrical is code switching, right? For the moment, there's this performance where I will say, yo, what's up? You know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, when you leave that situation, then you're going to go listen to K-pop and be yourself, right? Like, don't do that to us, other Black people. Don't do that to all of us. Um, so I said to the, I said to people when I was struggling with the boys, like, how do, how am I supposed to relate to these boys? Well, they're like, well, garden, but make it hip hop. I'm like, that is so patronizing. Like, like, and I'm talking to other black, black people like that. They're like, maybe you can, um, get one of their favorite rappers to come down to the farm and, and tell them that what they're doing is really good. And I'm like, are you listening to yourself? Like, you know, what I'm Niggas have not paused the white nigga in their head, bruh. Me and Xavier be talking about this shit all the time, yo. Like, keep your slang. It's hella niggas out here that, and look, as this may relate to gardening, as this may relate to, like, teaching children, yo, like, as Mason said, yo, just be yourself, yo, because we can tell. Like... That's what I'm saying. Like, can tell, um, yo. you know, because I, first of all, <laughs> like, how am I going to get the baby to come down or whoever, whoever is the right <laughs> I, I don't remember. One of them to come down here and tell the boys, stay in school. You're doing really good. Like, what? No. Yeah, no, no there, there's the whole time, you know, I would love for him to come down there and buy some greens, right? And be like, please let us size you for the whole tour bus scenario. Wherever you go, we want to provide you with the kale your green juices or whatever you know what i mean but you know like i'm not gonna and please can you please tell these boys something because he knows he wants a boy you know what i'm saying he was like i don't want to listen to this dare motherfucker talk to me like this what i don't care you know like i want to put you onto the mixtape that i got because i got fired bro that's what they'll be concerned about right not actually hearing the situation now one thing that i do want to do is get eric collins who is a commentator for the Hornets to shout out West Boulevard because sometimes he does that when Lamelo or Terry Rogier will shoot from way behind the three point line. He'll shout out different places within the Charlotte metropolitan area, and it would be awesome to for him to say, "All the way from West Boulevard." You know that would be <laughs> so, that would be what I want to see. I mean, but, you never know. Like you just gotta ask. I mean, yeah, it's been all the times where me and Reggie just. Sending messages to people to see if they'd be interested in coming on the podcast, for example. And I mean, you'd be surprised how many people just be like, sure. Like, yeah. what's your schedule like? Like, right. So um, I just haven't done it yet, but um I, I can't I forgot what what the question was that got me started on this. That's fine. You definitely answered it. Because Reggie yeah, Reggie Well, I'm curious, um, just because I do want to acknowledge that we are at... Yeah, we're coming up on time. Yeah, we're at much. one hour and 20 minutes, and I want to make sure that I got um, some specific questions that I made that I wanted our listeners to get from you um, out the way. If you had a starting point, if niggas want to tap into growing their own vegetation or, like even ornamental like plants and stuff like that. Could you give us like, you know, a few entry level things that people should keep in mind, rather be perspective things to keep in mind, like you spoke on earlier with your mom not being ready yet, or like I like space 
ideals to keep in mind, like maybe not growing a huge yucca plant in. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess some like basic guidelines get started. Like, how can I sustainably, you know, start my journey without just all the hiccups that are just unnecessary? Then we want to ask you about that black soil that you was talking about on your website because I thought that was fascinating. Just the question okay. you kept trinkling around. Right, so, right. <laughs> All right, so um, I'll go with the the first tips first, which is like, um, first, what is, you, you got to cover the logistics of your growing situation, right? Both of y'all rooms I can see on Zoom are pretty dark right now, right? Um, and it's not just because it's the middle of the day, so. Yeah, should, I got should, Let me see um, how bright I can get. But like, what I'm saying is, is that, you, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, that's like, exactly. That's much better, right? For if you wanted to be growing stuff, because the amount of light that is crushed by just windows is like, imagine, like we say, we need eight glasses of water a day, right? That's what they say, 64 ounces, right? Um, growing plants inside is like receiving eight ounces of water a day. You know, it's, pretty tough um and despite that certain plants have been adapted to grow in these inherently low light conditions and even with that there are plants that are really high light right mm-hmm. um that still need to be out in front of a window regardless of whatever is going on so what i would say to somebody who's interested in that is making sure that you can live with your lights your windows lines up all the time um uh, in order to be able to bring the light in that you need to. Um, and then what I would say would be to start with a plant that is really forgiving and communicative, meaning I would start with a, uh, and something that will grow well and be attractive um, because not all plants are like that. A lot of people start with succulents because they're like, oh, I can forget to water it. But what they also do is they treat succulents as if there's some other type of plant and kill them through overwatering, right? And so what I would start with would be something like a pothos, P-O-T-H-O-S, or a, um, a red-veined marginata, um, uh, also known as Dracaena marginata, D-R-A-C-E-N-A space, M-A-R-G-I-N-A-T-A. Um, uh, both of those plants will... If you start really paying attention to them, right? Especially like I, and now that I've mentioned it on the podcast, it'll be out there. So I'll have to get this done. I made two playlists, songs for you to sing to your plants and songs for your plants to sing to you, right? Um, And so the latter playlist, I usually have one while I'm working or studying or something like that. It's mostly instrumental. jazz or, you know, whatever. Um, But then the songs for plants to sing to you are plants that I feel like people who like to sing should learn to sing and then sing those to the plants, right? Because as you sing directly at them, you are forcing more carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. at at them and they'll take that up provided that they have enough water and blah, blah, blah. Um, But you need to develop that personal relationship with your plants and being able to see them as living beings versus accessories or decor, 
Mm -hmm. Right. Because once they start doing that, they'll be growing in ways that aren't necessarily attractive as decor or accessories, but that's who they are. Right. And that's what people need to get that. If you want to, if you want plants that will look attractive, buy fake plants. But if you want plants to look like plants, grow plants. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you wanted to grow, like, so I said like that, you want to grow something ornamental, pathos or a red vein marginata. If you want to grow something for consumption and you have like a balcony or something like that, or somewhere you can, um, you want to grow something for consumption, grow some sweet potatoes, go to the grocery store right now, uh, buy, buy a sweet, just buy one sweet potato from, you know, the organic grocery store and leave it on your kitchen counter or wherever you can not touch it and forget about it. It'll start growing on its own because the entire sweet potato is starches for it to grow, right? And what'll happen is that it'll start showing what they call slips. Um, And those will be the first new leaves. And you can take that and take that whole sweet potato if you want to and put it in a pot first week of March, right? By May, you can then take it outside and it'll start throwing out leaves, right? If you want to, you can then clip those leaves and put them in some more soil and grow even more. Or what you want to do when it's finally warm and you have enough sun, take that whatever pot that you had, say it's a tiny like one gallon pot, go buy a five gallon bucket from Home Depot, punch a hole in the bottom of it or around the sides and then take that and then transplant that pot into a larger pot. At the end of the season by Thanksgiving or whatever, dump out all that soil, that thing will be full of sweet potatoes. That's what I, and then from there you can, and then just let that plant do its job, yeah. right? Make sure you water it, but just let it do its job. It's some putting y'all on game. Literally. And can you just yeah. lightly touch on the black soil? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But also, like, listen to my podcast. Um, oh, so very, mu- very much so. <laughs> that's, that's the center of all the information. We picked up yeah. on how the nitrogen is affecting the roots and just we, yeah. we it's very detailed everybody listening it's not you know a how-to it's like yeah a guide really right. like uh, yeah um so all right when i was listening to these podcasts regenerative agriculture podcast no-till podcast um you know no-till podcast talks about like mil- like tens of thousands of acres at minimum these guys growing corn soybeans wheat right in rotation trying to do these more more sustainable practices and then on the other side doing more regenerative practices because they're not the same thing um all of them would always talk about black soils black soils black soils and i'm like oh shit you know um although i don't disagree with a lot of the stuff that he said uh dr laila africa naturopathic physician said in one of his lectures uh if you all will pretend that I'm a white man, you'll listen to everything I say, right? <laughs> and, and it's true. And so when I was hearing all these white people say, damn, that, you know, these, the healthiest soils are black, the healthiest soils are black, I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah they are, you know? But then I was like, but why? And I found out why, but that also wasn't the question that I was asking. I'm not asking why it's black as it relates to humus um, production and the amount of organic material and then the amount of 
amount of uh, microbial life that's present within the soil. That's why it's black. I'm asking the same reason, why is the sky blue? What makes a tree a tree? That's the kind of the philosophical question about of all the colors it could have been, why is it black? You know, that's the kind of question that I was asking. And what I, that question isn't a question to be answered. That is a question to guide you, right? That question is a North Star, right? This is the question you walk to, right? And so um, what I found, I found this one paper last year, um, one of the episodes I'm most proud of. Um, it's titled God Made the Soil, But We Made It Fertile. And in that, in the paper that is titled that same thing, God made the soil, but we made it fertile, like knowledge, gender, and social practices, and um, dark earth's formation in upper West Africa. Um, the people of Liberia and um, in, in Wenwuta specifically say, like, we made this soil black. In certain areas, you can find this natural soil, but it's not enough to sustain us. So we had to do this. We made this black. And you can see how deep, uh, how old a village is by how dark the soil is or how deep it goes. In this paper, they talked about this one place. This place had black soil six feet below the surface. It shows you how old that particular area is, right? Because also what contemporary soil science says is that Topsoil is made an inch every like 500 years, right? Yeah, so we're talking about six feet. What is also the case is that you can build black soil and that's what they're doing, right? And in this building of black soil, they had these places that they called um, tombandu, which means dump site and our dump site soils. So they would gather all of their organic matter, um, whether it's palm fronds from making whatever they're making, um, you know, the husks of palm fruit, coconut fruit, shrimp shells, poop, old jeans, old t-shirts, they put them all in this place. They poop in that place, they pee in that place, you know, throw period stuff in that place. All, all of their organic wastes would go there and then they light it on fire, right? And they then they'd plant stuff there and then they'd repeat that same process sort of stepwise around their, around their area, and they create these black soils. And what that really kind of showed me with that particular one is like, yo, like, this is our creativity. This is, this is an empowering proverb that they gave us, right? Um, I have it way more poetically written out in the show, of course, but it's like, this thing this particular thing, God made the soil, but we made it fertile, shows us like we're only 75% of the way there. You know, we've been made 75% of the way there, which is why I get so frustrated when I see all this postmodern nonsense, especially from our people, when they're like, well, what do you think about it? Because it's like, no, why didn't you think about it? Right? Because it's like, yo, you have so much to draw from, you know? Time was created for agriculture. The first calendars were created so that we could predict, predict when the Nile would flood so that we can ensure surplus of harvest, right? Meaning the blue that is present within the early Egyptian hieroglyphs and stuff like that, like within, you know, you know, Rihanna's got that tattoo underneath her titties, right? And the blue, there's usually blue on the wings, right? 
in early dynastic Egypt, that blue came from Afghanistan, bro. You know how far away Afghanistan is from Egypt? It's true. In like 4,000 BC? That's really far away. Big one. Exactly. Big one. And how do you pay somebody to be able to do that? You have grain surplus that, you know, you can say, all right, no, we got you. We got you. Go out there and get it. We'll, we'll be giving your family all of this grain this whole time. You know what I'm saying? And, and we're giving you this much grain to get that many ingots of this metal from Afghanistan, right? We can trade like that just to make art. Now, also, the thing is, is that all that art is functional, which is something that we've completely forgot about as contemporary Black artists. But that's a whole nother thing. Um, so then more recently, I found this um, really awesome paper. This would be the last thing I say about the soil so we can move on to the rest of these questions. Um, is uh, this other paper about these um, people, and I haven't put this on the podcast yet, so you know, sometimes you're the frog exclusive. Um, about these, um, these farmers in Guinea, the Karanko, and how they lived in their village. And so they would live in an area that is like a circle, right? And they would move clockwise through this particular area. They'd start where they live at 12 o'clock, right? And everybody's houses would be set up in a circle. And then they'd set up these concentric circle gardens behind their circular house. Then what they would do would be to, to grow in this particular place. And then every couple of years, they'd move, say, to the 3 o'clock, then to the 5 o'clock, then to the 7 o'clock, then to the 10 o'clock. At that point in time, 10 years have passed, and they move back to the 12 o'clock position. At that point in time, the ground and the place where they were farming has fundamentally been changed by their growing, Right. So they move there, they plant, say they plant some, some fruit trees, they plant ornamental grasses and all these different things, and they abandon those areas, right? And this is what they tell to the anthropologists. But then what they later also said is that in that abandoning of those places and creating these places, um, these ruin sites, um, sorry, before I said it was, this paper is talking about the Tombondu, the previous paper that I was talking about, they call those dump site soils tutupole. This area, this ruined sites are called tombondu. And what they were saying is that at this whole time, it is also spirit that is growing these crops. It is also spirit that is transforming these soils. It is the ancestors growing alongside us that is blackening the soil at the same time. Because of the crops we planted and we abandoned them, we allow the ancestors to come and farm like they had been prior to us being here, right? And so it's a very interesting thing thinking about that as it compares to different things that I've read as it relates to Korean natural farming and this other book called Test Your Soil with Plants, where he's talking about the weeds that are present within your growing space indicate the mineral and chemical balances that are going on within your growing space, right? So for example, if dandelion is growing, calcium is not there. Once calcium is there, dandelion will stop growing. Um, and so it's stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? And basically, and then in Korean natural farming, what they're talking about is find the plants that are growing well in your area, chop them down, ferment them with brown sugar, 
And then you can use that essence to fertilize the plants that you want to grow, right? So we combine both of these people's understandings with this Tombondo understanding. And what we're seeing is that we can create these areas that we let grow wild where we grow, and we can allow the ancestors to move in and grow these plants that we need to be able to grow the plants that we need. Meaning, letting these weeds and stuff, weeds and stuff grow will indicate the different things that we need actually to grow our tomatoes. So we can chop them down, ferment them, and have the ancestors grow the things that we need to grow the food that we can then offer back to them. That's how we create black soils. It's awesome that it's conceptual and metaphysical, but also very literal. Like this happens yeah. in a, in a physical, invisible way. And that's that's kind of what I want to, that's what I want people to know that your spirituality, and this is something that, that Nina said to me a long time ago, your spirituality should be working for you, right? You know, is is my understanding that um Jesus never existed, right? Like there's a there was a dude named that and he was crucified. But this guy that we think about is nothing but a fable to become a slave to, right? And in this way, praying to him will just be uh, sending a text to a shorty and being left on red. That's what it is, right? And in this situation, it's like when you look, when you start really studying our traditional spiritual systems, the ancestors ain't got nothing to do but ensure that they come back the next time. How do you do so? Through this communion, right? How do, we, how, do we, how do they make sure that they come back to existence? Because existence isn't some plague like it is done in Eastern spirituality, where they say, oh, you need to have good karma so that you can escape the nonsense of existence. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. That's what it is to them. But to us, existence is a joy, right? And this is something that we should provide it. That's why there's the Yoruba concept of alafia. I hope that you live a long life, right? You know, this is divine, a divine situation to be a great-grandmother, great-grandfather, right? And we want everybody to be that way. So you must be healthy. You must give these offerings. You must have harmonious uh, 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 operations within your community. And like you said, Xavier, it should be metaphysical, but it also should be practical, right? A lot of these things that people do these days is just metaphysical, and they feel good because... For that moment, you temporarily escape the meaninglessness of life. Sometimes life is just boring. That's it. You know? Me and Xavier talk about this shit all the time, about how people, like, presentness is such a gift because it reminds you that, like, all moments should be celebrated with gratitude because... I mean, you're alive, one, but two, like, it's a fucking moment. You're perceiving it. Like, it's up to your perspective to how you, like, engage with the world around you. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, super sublime, very informative. Um, Xavier, do you have, like, any specific questions? Um, I actually do have one that maybe you can give us, like, a quick breakdown because we are tight on time but you spoke about um you said everybody like this information is for 
the community, but not everybody sh- is should become growers. Like some people got to buy. To what does that balance look like? like oh yeah, I mean, all right. So this stuff that Dr. Carver was talking about, it's never been a situation that everybody should be growing everything that they can. I'm not. I don't have any success with succulents. I don't have any success with with indoor palms. You know, fuck that. I don't grow that. You know, somebody else's job is to grow that. Right, right, right. right. You know, with the with the workshop that I gave for Rooting DC, I said, yo, you may only have space to grow tomatoes, but your neighbor has space to grow onions. Your other neighbor has space to grow peppers. Your other neighbor has space to grow cilantro. Together, all of you all can make some fire salsa that's hyper-local that can then, then be sold to your market, right? Mm-hmm. This is your blocks salsa. Like, everybody, that's, yes. That's what it you is, know? right. But, but there are also people who need to I mean, within traditional societies, there's always people who have been blacksmiths. They don't do anything else. They smith. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There have been coopers, right? There have been cobblers. There have been cooks. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You thinking that you can be all things at once is disingenuous, right? It's nonsense. It's because that's not our situation. That's somebody else's situation. Yeah, we're, our situation we're on a time. We're on a timeline, bro. My bad. Oh, no, 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 no. He's saying, I meant oh, like oh. all of us That's... living, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we experience yeah. this, like, you, if you don't choose your thing, you won't have chosen your, you wouldn't have chosen exactly. your thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, some, some, some people are supposed to be Sanko Fahini, right? And I say that because I'm not going to say Renaissance man, right? Because a lot of people want to be. Renaissance men and women, but they don't want to be Sanko Fahini, right? You need to figure out what you are doing and how you are being ancestrally guided to what it is that you're doing because it's out there, right? Like with my my name, Alona Day, I found that there's a whole textile tradition called Asho Alona, right? It's the same thing. So naturally, I should be doing this mm-hmm. textile work. I'm somebody who's been asking this question about what makes Alexis so as Black and how our philosophy is is set up within agriculture and I've been finding all these resources. So I'll do that. What I'm not going to do is figure out how to cook stuff in this way. What I'm not going to do is figure out what a, um, like I have beef with people who do comedic yoga because that's nonsense. But what I do want to do is figure out what is a spiritually enhanced African movement style, right? You know, but I'm not going to say, all right, go out there and um, black and Tai Chi, go out there and black Mm -hmm. and yoga, right? Somebody who's already on that should be on that. First of all, I just want to say before we wrap up that, first of all, thank you. A lot of what you're saying is like, not, not only what we talk about, like in our interpersonal, but I feel like it's something we search for in other individuals of like, having this same mindset of like, first of all, you're here. There's a gratitude that needs to come with your your existence. Like it's not, it's not free in a way. Like there's a motion to it, if that makes yeah. sense. And you being in your thing is just as important as like you understanding that there is a thing to, go towards like it's just like you were saying earlier like that's what they 
feel about what's going on, like, and they're, they're, that's right by them to live that. That's where they was placed exactly. that time. I totally agree on that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, wh- who would I be knowing that I'm from the DMV and me saying slang that's from Los Angeles or something? That's nonsense. No, that's not how it works. And then you want to do that with your spirituality? You know, that's, that's super weird. You're going to do that with your artistic practice, which is, if you are doing it right, an inherently spiritual thing, you're going to say, oh, I want to make, um, I want to make Murakami stuff, but I want to do it with African figures. Look, really? Don't, don't, really? don't open up that door. Don't, don't, even, don't even put that out there, because somebody will listen to that and be like, that's kind of No, hard. I know, and they're going to be some gunks, right? Like, that's, <laughs> yes. that's what yes. it's going to be. You know, you want to be you want to be a black I way way, you know? No, no, you no. can't do that. But this is the thing be too, Mason. Like we talk about this, just we're all from a predominantly black place, and how much of right. a blessing, like that, really is. Because something that I've experienced in my time in university was just seeing how others would try to find their blackness through other cultural forms, and I, I always thought that that was like super fascinating. Like niggas would be like, I would remember being in the philosophy track. And you would see how people would try to like mold these like French or German ideologies and just and just throw Afro at the beginning or black at the beginning and shit. And it's like, yo, like, nigga, all of these things exist everywhere. It's just in that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like, I don't know. Yeah, that shit, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you, I mean, you had a bunch of Kinde Wileys everywhere running around. And that's stupid, man. Like. It's impressive the work that he does. It would be impressive to see some sort of person who does, um, you know, a black Picasso. But is that something that should be applauded? Hell no. Is that something that's going to help? Hell no. Is that something that like is going to be able to guide any of us? No. Is it going to have any actually lasting ramifications? Probably, right? Yeah. Because you know, white people fuck with that shit. But it's like. What would that is produced is what influences this, this is it, right? A whole bunch of motherfuckers want to be Basquiat and not realize that the motherfucker died of an overdose because white people are getting them high this whole time. That's not how it works. You can't do that. You can't do that. On that note, <laughs> yo, <laughs> listeners, be very authentic. Listen to the Figgy podcast, okay? Lots of more educational content, but also real and spiritually aligning, hopefully, to your ears, to your mind, content. Thank you for coming with us. It's been great. Like, obviously, super, 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 super blessed to have you. Like, thank you. Thank you for coming on. You guys remember to buy locally. Um, Is if if there's any places that you want to like plug before we do our like skedaddle out of here, like rather be you want to spell out your website, you want to let people who live in the Carolinas know the place that you're working at. Um, what's what's new? Time. Anything? Um, yeah. So I mean, I do. Yeah. So uh, twenty twenty nine oh twenty eight oh one twenty nine oh one Romero Building Drive. I mean. And West Boulevard, that's where the farm is. And we'll be out there. I'll be out there every Saturday from April to November. Um, but um, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, people can contact me for that information. We're 3SMCLT on Instagram. Um, uh, in D.C., uh, I definitely want to shout out Sankofa, uh, the bookstore on Georgia Avenue, um, because that's where I met, you know, that's where I met Nina. That's where I got all these books. That's where you want to go to have nowhere on earth exists like Sankofa. Shout out to the Garimas. Yeah, for real. And, um, you know, it's like we've been down here and it's like, we're like, man, where, where is a place like this? And it's like, no, there is no place like this because there's also no place like DC and PG yeah. County. Yeah. Right? Like in, in what you're saying. Of, right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no place like that outside of Africa anywhere else. Um, so it's, uh, so, um, another place I want to plug is Roger Miller on um, on uh, Bonifant Street in, in Silver Spring. Um, if you want some really amazing African food and you can have some real patience with Roger Miller's senility, please get the goat and chicken special at Roger Miller and your stomach will hurt from how delicious <laughs> it is to eat it. Um, I'm almost done. Um, and so... Uh, that's and then I want to plug um the family pattern project olona.de slash uh family pattern project or family.alona.de. Um and uh you know with, with the family pattern project, I'm I'm doing a uh making a coat of arms, kente cloth uh for for families, um imbuing their uh spiritual um ideologies into textile right um i'm wearing i'm wearing one of my family patterns that nina and i created right now um and uh and it's been a really really fulfilling practice and what i want to be able to do is because i generate so many of these patterns um eventually i want to be able to have it as an offering to sell people these patterns that have these different meanings in them if they don't want to go all the way and get the family pattern project fully and then pay the families who those other, um, you know, pay them royalties, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, because there's opportunity, there's opportunity within this to make business profitable for all of us, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we still have to afford guns in order to have some sort of revolutionary capacity, right? Uh, you know, that's, not that I'm yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Though. Like, if you don't, if you don't got capital, you don't have power. Exactly. But yeah, thank you so much uh, for coming in. Happy New Year to all of you again. Mm-hmm. Listen to the Jiggy Jiggy podcast. Wish Mason, you good health. You being a good human. Thank you, listeners, for being good human. As always, we're sometimes you're the frog, and we love you for being radically unspecified. A shame. Thank you.